Hello and welcome to Driving Leadership. I'm David Foster. I'm Mike Metcalf. And I'm Sean Pete. At some point in your journey as a leader, your employees are going to succeed. They're going to fail. They may need something like education or a change or a little understanding. And that means that you have a choice at that point in time. Do you stand by the employee? And how do you stand by the employee? So today we want to talk about how and why you would stand behind your, your employees, what that looks like and what to avoid. We had an incident at a work this past week, which I cannot go into, but I was talking to one of our uh, NFL athletes. <laughs> it was like, how did, how did they handle this, uh, you know, in your day and, you know, with some of the teams that you played for? <laughs> it just said it depended on which uh, draft, which round the person was drafted in. <laughs> and I was like, see, that's we need a better answer than that. Right. If it's just somebody that's super valuable, you know, we'll stand by them. But if it's someone who's on the fringes or <clears throat> junior level person, then generally they're 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 outed. And I, I think we need to, you know, that can't be our default as leaders. So that was you're talking about a negative. Something happened that was yeah, something negative, not yeah, a resume builder. Okay. Correct. 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 Yeah. You know, and we talk on the show all the time about how leadership is difficult, right? I don't think there's going to be anything more difficult for a young leader than standing beside someone amidst failure, right? That's extremely difficult. Um, and, and I think that, that this might serve to be one of the most important episodes we've done because so many people do that poorly, right? So today is about equipping people with the skills so that when failure shows up in their team, how do you react? Well, one of the first things I think you'd want to figure out is how that failure came about, because, you know, we all need to take responsibility for what our teams do, good and bad. But at the same time, we want to inculcate that responsibility with the people that we lead. So how does the failure come about and what's the best way to stand beside your employee when that happens? I think, I think it's simple, David. I think, you know, and, and we learned this, uh, you know, Total Wolf is the team principal for Mercedes in F1. Mm -hmm. And in one of the episodes, The Drive to Survive, you know, they talked about, you know, how many championships in a row that they'd won. And they had a failure somewhere. And he said, the reason we're successful is because we always look at the problem, not the person. Think about that for a second. So many times as leaders, a failure is also mixed with an immense amount of emotion. And a lot of times what we do is we default to the person, right? The failure comes up instantly. It's a deficiency with the person where they may have not had any control over that outcome. So I think, you know, I think it starts there. It's identifying, okay, let's look at the problem first and not the person. Now, if it's the person tethered to the problem two or three or four times in a row, then you have a problem with the person, right? So I think it starts by making sure you're identifying the right problem. Yeah, that's an interesting distinction between the problem and the person because it makes an awful lot of sense. At the same time, I think the person may have certain needs and the problem may have certain needs. And I don't think those are always the same. Maybe the person needs something like advice or some sort of guidance or sometimes they need a kick in the ass. 
but then the problem itself may need a new procedure or a new you know way of doing things that would keep the probability of failure lower right but i think if you wade into that problem always looking if you if you wade into that situation that failure starting with the problem you don't roll into it and be like oh you fucking idiot <laughs> like that's not mm -hmm. you know um that that doesn't serve anybody right so i think i think you know a big part of it is going to be okay let's make sure our emotions are in check go in is it the problem is it the person i see what you're saying about you know both might need some adjustment um but i think more often than not we default you know let our emotions take care of lead us in the wrong direction and, and we're often looking at the person even though the the problem might have been out of their control yeah i think it's a, it's the default of we so often you know all right well who screwed it up <laughs> and then you, as soon as you find that person is like all right we're making a change um and I, I think we talked about this maybe on the last one just as the quote you know change the person or or change the person and just Making the default being, all right, how do we learn from this? How do we use this as a change agent, as a learning tool before we go and say, all right, we need to completely, you know, find a different person for this role? Yeah, I think that learning part, I think that's really good to consider for a minute because when somebody fails or when a process fails, the type of thing that qualifies as standing by could be different from one case to another. You might need to stand by an employee during failure because everyone else in the company accepts it or understands it or still supports them, but that employee is starting to crater internally and they need some sort of support. Mm -hmm. Or the opposite could be true. The employee could say that it wasn't their responsibility, his or her responsibility, and everybody at the company is looking at them saying, you've, you've made a really big mistake and you have to take responsibility. So standing by the person, as you were saying, Sean, I think makes a tremendous amount of sense. And, and that's almost non-negotiable. You have to do that. Even if that person turns out to be not a good fit for the position, you still have to stand by them. But I think the first step in some ways is figuring out what the situation needs, what the, what the person needs, and then what the process needs. Absolutely. And, but that's leadership, right? Like y y you hit the nail on the head is find out what the person needs, right? A lot of times when a failure shows up in our program, I'm looking at myself before I'm looking at that person, right? If we screw up something physically, I'm instantly thinking, oh, that's bad coaching. That's on me, you know? Um, in the often case, that's, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, Sean says it. He he says it more than anybody I've ever worked at with. You know, like the physical mistakes we'll own, but then there's mental stuff that we can't control. You know, like we can we can outline a process, we can go through training, we can talk about how to execute, how to strategize. You know, how to make the sales call, how to pitch. You know, all whatever it is your whatever you know your business is. But then there are certain moments, you know, mentally that. Like you said, David, there is responsibility that has to be owned by the individual. Um, we can't completely accommodate for both, <laughs> you know, but, you know, if there is a way for us to come and help that mental part that is breaking down, that's one thing. But if it's breaking down over and over again, uh, that's when it gets challenging. And that's when you get people coming to you, which I've had. Hey, why is this person still here? 
know? <laughs> yeah. We, we and, preach this and we're working on this and we're moving in this direction. And this person doesn't seem to be doing all of that. And you guys keep bringing this person along. Like, can you just explain why? And what were you going to say? David? How do you answer that, Mike? Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it, it's, it's, it's been a, a couple of occasions, a couple of different people. Um, uh, <clears throat> so different answers, but the, the, what it boiled down to is just, you know, still having belief in that person's either ability, character, or their, their intellect, you know, their ability to, you know, there's some positive that we still believe that would come from this person being a part of the team. I like that. And I, I, I also like the idea of us reminding leaders about responsibility. And in a lot of ways, some of it's very simple. You know, as a leader, any mistake that happens on your team, you need to take responsibility for. Because that idea of the buck stops with you, and even though you can't control it, you're the leader, you need to stand by your employees, they did the best job they could, and I hired the best people I could, and I will figure out a way to make this happen less often. And then I think the opposite is true when there's big successes. If the team succeeds, that is always the, not responsibility, but that's always credit to the employee. And if you default to that, you're going to build an awful lot of trust and loyalty and credibility, and the team will become committed to its purpose, each other, and that will get you better results. Yeah, no, I, I, I mean, I, yeah, I, I, yeah, it's hard to hard to, to debate that. I mean, it's what I think, you know what I mean? I think where that becomes difficult is, you know, like, think about how many people we worked for that if something went crazy, they were just a pastor entity and, and like all hell came down on us, right? Yep. The leadership, standing beside someone amidst failure means that you know, when you're getting your head ripped off by the people above you on the company org chart, that you're taking that, right? You're yeah. explaining why the deficiency is. You're, you're not just a pastor entity so that they're screaming at these people, right? Like, yeah. like great leadership is shield, holding people responsible but shielding them from the unnecessary stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Like the, the hubris and the, and the runaway emotions and all the other things. Um, and, and like you said, David... I, Taken, taken on, you know, the hard stuff and, and accepting blame for that and then giving it away when success arrives. I agree. It's, it's a formula for, for success in any company. I mean, we, we say it fairly often when we've got, you know, a car coming down pit road and there's five people up on the wall that are about to jump out and, you know, do a pit stop. We want them thinking about lug nuts, about where the jack post is on the car how to make the adjustments and things like that. We don't want them thinking about their job, if it's on the line or not, right? They, I think there's, uh, we have the ability as leaders to help our teams focus, you know, and, and a lot of times that means that the heat's on us, you know, <laughs> and it's not that you don't shield completely somebody who's underperforming. They, that needs to be documented. They need to know they should never be caught off guard when you're, when, when you're making a change. But there are things, like Sean said, we've been in so many waterfall conversations where 
something happened up here. It got just dumped down onto us. And the leader just said, well, that's on them. Well, they should have done this. They should have done that. Um, just I just think there's a better way to do it. And those underperformers, we've all been underperformers. Sure. They need, they need support. They need their leader to stand by them. But they also really need honesty. They need not the kind of support that's that sort of like saccharine sweet, you know, positivity with some sort of meme that's got like a sunset and script and crap like that. And they don't, for God's sakes, need to hear you can do it or, you know, just put your mind to it or any kind of shit like that. They need to be told you missed the mark. Yep. You failed. This was, you know, this little piece was your responsibility, but I'm here to not only tell you that you failed, but to figure out why and how to do it better next time. And I'm going to stick by you and we're going to figure this out together. And I think that is missing. I find that missing in modern companies. Most people who are in leadership positions, unfortunately, have two tools, a rotten carrot and a really big stick. Yeah. And they use those sometimes interchangeably in sentences, if not, you know, from day to day. And that doesn't produce good results. It, it doesn't, David. And I think part of that is it can lends itself to this kindness is weakness ethos that we see in, in, in the corporate space that Mike and I have you know, so recently being introduced to. And, you know, nothing could be further from the truth, right? Like when you're talking about standing someone amidst failure and talking to them like that, you're talking about empathy, right? And empathy isn't tolerating poor performance. Empathy is understanding the things that drive human performance, addressing those so that we can move forward together, right? That's what good leadership looks like. Not, like I say, just calling someone in, hammering away at them and then think, okay, they're going to go do a better job. All it does is assuage the ego of the of the poor leader is what it does. Temporarily. Temporarily, absolutely. Until they can yell at the next person. But then again, you're building a culture that has no chance of surviving. Yeah, you your your ego has to be in a pretty well healed place to be able to stand by somebody, right? Because it, it takes a degree of humility to own that, all right, we we not you screwed up, we did. Like I'm leading this. So that any failure from anyone on our team somehow is tied back to my performance as as the leader. So let's stand by each you know, like I'm gonna stand by your side here. That's what we're talking about. Let's address it. Um but so many people don't do that because they it's hard for them to say or accept that responsibility of I could have done something better, you know? So, I mean, I've, I've, we've all heard it time and time. Well, I mean, I, we, I gave you the playbook, you know, if, if you didn't figure it out, that's on you, you know, <laughs> taking no ownership of like, maybe I can, 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 maybe I should continue improving my tools. Like you said, David, if those are your only two tools as a leader, um, you know, you got some work to do. Yeah. And it's a huge myth in business too. Like everybody talks about Steve Jobs, screaming yeah. and threatening his way to the iPod, the iPhone, the Mac mini, whatever it is. Right. And I know people today who talk about, they wish they had been able to join Apple and 
and have been screamed at relentlessly in the middle of the night to be part of the, you know, one of the 3,000 people who did something for the iPhone. And that's a, that's a huge myth. And I think there are a lot of like parking lot Steve Jobs in these strip malls who are taking that kind of example to heart and torturing the people that work for them. And it's, and it's not good for, it's not good for you as a leader. It's not good for the person and it's not good for the business. Yeah. Correct saw, on all three. Saw a clip the other day of a, um, a manager at a Wendy's. I forget where it was, but this, uh, the lady working there was recording it because she was saying her boss was abusive. And, uh, and I'm just like, I cannot imagine being in a place in life to where I'm ripping people apart just because they're not getting the fries out, you know, fast enough. I mean, and I know that's important, right? There's metrics for everything, but man, I just, the, the, the further we go along, the least, like people aren't going to respond to this type of leadership, right? It was okay 20, 30 years ago to just come in and yell and scream at people. And, and for whatever reason, culturally, I think that was accepted. I think it was just kind of the norm. But the younger that the workforce gets, the more that that's not going to work. I, I know what you're talking about because um, the, the, you said you didn't know where the Wendy's was. I think it was across the street from Dunkin' Donuts right next to the Home Depot. It was that Wendy's, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, I think this can be kind of summarized what we're talking about as, you know, saying to a, a leader, try as hard as you can not to confuse acceptance and support with agreement and punishment. Like you need to accept whether it's failure or whether it's, let's say an employee's got a family emergency or even just a family demand. Hey, it's my daughter's high school graduation. I, I can't make this meeting because uh, the whole family's coming for the graduation. You have to stand by that. You don't necessarily need to agree with an employee's, say, faulty attempt, especially if that person is defending a poor attempt with, well, I, I just, I know this is our company logo, but I just wanted to change the script and the color because I just thought it looked better. That can't fly. Mm -hmm. Right. But you also have to support that employee and figure out how to, how to explain the right thing to do for them, for the business. Right. You're building a pathway so that the mistake doesn't repeat itself. Mm. Right. That, like, that's, again, but we talk about foundational leadership. That's what it looks like. Best leaders are coaches, right? You're coaching that employee not to make the same mistake. Right? You get that when you have empathy, but when you're screaming and beating them with the stick and offering the rotten carrot, um, you're not going to get there. And the, the, you're actually increasing the likelihood that the mistake reappears because you're not leaving them with anything. I mean, it's up to employees to have, you know, a decent amount of teachability, right? It, it's, it is very easy in the world that we live in to just instantly jump to, I'm offended. This person doesn't like me. They're challenging my my character, you know, all this, all the things that you see on all the social posts. But sometimes I'm kind of offended you said that. <laughs> yeah, I bet. <laughs> it's just, but you know, sometimes you, sometimes you need a kick in the pants, right? 
not everybody's got everything figured out, you know, and, and um, I think we sometimes, I don't know, short circuit our own growth as employees by not being able to take feedback. So let's, let's flesh that out a little bit because a kick in the ass can be standing by your employee. Absolutely. What makes it standing by your employee and what makes it inappropriate or abusive? I think there's a lot of things that could factor into that. I think delivery, I think where it's delivered, um, yep. you know, content. I think, I think there are a ton of variables that go into that. They, they could easily sway it one way or the other. A lot of that just goes back to the relationship that you have with that employee, you know? Um, and, you know, we talked about expectations last time. If the expectation from the beginning is, hey, we're we're going to agree with each other that we're going to push to be our best. We're going to go for performance. We want to we it's a business. We want to feel good, be valued. But we also want to make money so that we keep being able to do this. <laughs> uh, so when things are not right. It's my expect it's, it's, it's expected for us to say something about it and we're going to build a relationship to where we can have those conversations. And so when that happens, that's a easier conversation than just the person that hired you that you never see shows in, comes up every other six months and just drops the hammer and leaves. That's not it's just not going to translate as well. But, yeah, it's just it's so much of this is about the relationship. It's about the human connection. Right. And it's almost impossible to stand by somebody when there is no relationship between the two of you. And, and constantly deliver bad news to that person, right? Constantly be yelling at that person. But then when the positives show up, you say nothing, right? You can't. There has to be some type of balance. Yeah, it has to be balanced. And you also have to consider as a leader, what part of standing by your employee is public and what part is private. Absolutely, mm -hmm. that's huge. That's yeah, huge. I think that is really huge. I think that, you know, a, a more developed, more mature team, I think it's much easier to make some of the negative things public. So if you're in a group where it's normal to take responsibility for your mistakes and everyone supports that and there's the assumption that you'll get help and figure out how to correct it. I don't think there's a big problem raising your hand and saying, okay, that was my fault. This is what happened. And I want to talk to you two about it to see if I can change it next time. In a less mature organization, if somebody really fails, I think that at least is initially dealt best behind closed doors. I mean, that's all that's part of the relationship building that we're talking about, right? Not just putting this person on blast in front of, you know, all these new coworkers. Yeah, right? you know, they missed it. So I have a little bit of empathy and let's let's figure out again the human factors that are going to make this person move towards the outcome that we're looking for. I was at a uh, I told Sean this earlier. I was at a a, a track meet uh, last <laughs> week. <laughs> there were a couple of parents, uh, husband, wife combination uh, that were screaming back and forth at each other. One was on the track and one was in the stands that the the one in the stands had given the son 
too much sugar and he was crashing as he was running his race and they're yelling at each other it was so uncomfortable and <laughs> I mean, i'm like first of all it's a seven-year-old track me who cares you know that no one's going signing any kind of scholarships from this deal today but that was something that should have been done in, in private you know like <laughs> you don't need to air out your tensions your your you know your frustrations in a public environment like that it just never it just never sets a good precedent. You never know what part people might come in and hear and take one line of it and completely change it and screw the, the meaning of it. Um, it's just a lot of danger there. I would say that that couple probably has a lot of stuff to talk about in private, maybe mm -hmm. with a professional in attendance. I would, I would say, yeah, someone uh, classically trained, PhD, yeah. <laughs> but Mike, you bring up a really good point in that when you're a leader, oftentimes, and I know we're going back to failure, but it's true, I think, with failure and with uncommon success, a lot of times a leader necessarily doesn't understand a lot of the critical things that have happened that led to that result. So if, if you're the head of a sales organization and you think you've got a sale in the bag and one of your people goes to the signing and it doesn't happen, you can make a lot of assumptions that really screw over the process. But I think the first part of standing by an employee is, like you said, having some humility. And part of that humility, you should use a good part of that humility, in fact, to start asking questions, well, what exactly happened? I suppose it's a little bit different if you're standing 10 meters away on the other side of the wall and you're watching somebody miss a tire change because they're posting on Instagram. All right, you, you kind of know the, the relevant facts there. But oftentimes, especially in these complex organizations, I see leaders get so upset that somebody's not performing or they didn't do something or they did something that there wasn't they didn't expect, but they don't understand the full situation. And five minutes of thoughtful questions sheds an awful lot of light on not only what happened, but what needs to be done and how that leader can help. But a, a huge element of that is, is managing your emotions, right? Which is a, a, a topic for an entirely an, another podcast. But, that, but that's where it starts, right? Because again, you, you know, we don't offer people that type of grace, right? It's, it's instantly stimulus response, right? We, we butt them up against each other and we just react, right? And I think the, the speed of business and the pace of life is quickened to the point where, you know, use that reaction is not a good one. And a lot of that's because we, we judge others by their actions, but we judge ourselves by our intentions. You know, well, we meant to do this, so we should have said, but then... When something else shows up action wise, we we just jump on it. And uh, like you said, Sean, it's giving others that same grace that we <laughs> are so quick to give ourselves, you know. Right. Yeah. Mike, you do bring up intentions, you know, regularly. And I think if you think about it long enough, I'm sure you can come up with some sort of phrase about people's intentions and what happens. Yeah. Yeah. It. it... Something about good intentions. <laughs> the idea of not knowing should probably be forefront at least in the first step of a leader's mind because we don't know 
most of everything that happens in the world. And to make a judgment, it almost feels like entitlement. Maybe we should have like a forensic psychologist on the show to be able to talk about some of this stuff. Because I think when people get upset, whether it's because they failed or their boss is yelling at them or the boss yells, it almost feels like part of a play. You screwed this up and now I get to yell for 10 minutes straight and you can't do a thing about it. Right. And, and, and again, like so, so much of that is a story, right? Whether it's on the boss's part, whatever that, oh, okay, well, they, they must have intentionally done this and that's what led to this failure. And, and, and often the case, when you start looking at the facts, that's not what happened, right? I think by and large, a lot of people are trying to do the very best they can. And when things go sideways, um, there's often a root cause that, like you said, sometimes lies outside their capabilities. Um, a great leader is going to figure that out, find it, and rectify it. Um, and not just unload on them. But I think, like you said, you know, I think you start getting, you know, higher up in an organizations, a lot of your feedback loops get severed. And all of a sudden you think, oh, wow, I'm always right. Right. No one challenges me. I must be right all the time. Um, so it, it's correct behavior for me to come and rip this person's head off. Right. When nothing could be further from the truth. And one way I think to look at that. All right. So if you're in a leadership position, and let's say somebody failed or something happened and you have this urge to respond. One thing I would say is look back a year, two years, and think about other times that there was a failure or a big success or somebody needed something and ask yourself this, do you understand that situation exactly the same way as you did the first five minutes you heard it? Hmm. A little patience. And I'm not talking about a lot. I'm not talking about giving people so much room that it endangers the rest of the team. I'm just talking about staying away from that knee-jerk reaction, asking questions, and trying to figure out how to help. There's not a lot that can go wrong with that process. David, one of the best quotes in Viktor Frankl's uh, Man's Search for Meaning he says that um, between every stimulus and response, there's a space. Right? And in that space, there's the opportunity for grace, there's the opportunity for thoughtful response, and there's the opportunity to say nothing at all. But we don't do that. We don't use our space. We take the stimulus, we take the response, we butt it right up against each other. And then 30 seconds later, we're like, oh, shit, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> or I wish I would have said this. Or I wish I would have just kept my mouth shut. Right? If that person is introspective, they might think that. But sometimes... Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes they, once they have that almost like feeling, they go to defend themselves. Well, I, I had to say that because, you know, you stepped on my toe. Right. And, and you don't, right? Like, you know, a, a famous Bill Pete saying was, never pass up an opportunity to keep your mouth shut, which just is a father saying to his son, I think you're an idiot and don't show anybody out in public. <laughs> Here, Dad, I'm going to start my own podcast. Isn't that a great yeah. idea? <laughs> Look at me now, Dad. The other thing that I think that the, the standby your employee time triggers is you have to refer to what are your priorities? What are your, what are your values? And if somebody misses really big, 
is making a good organization or making the organization better or reaching a goal one of your top priorities? If it is, how does taking that person's head off in front of everybody get you closer to that goal? Sub-question, as Jack Black said in the movie, <laughs> why do you feel that it's necessary to take the person's head off? What do you think that's going to do? Beyond the swage your ego, I don't know what the answer to that is, Dave. Yeah. You know? And, and then you look at, you know, you look at the, the positive of that. When you stand beside someone the right way, Look at all the things it engenders, loyalty, uh, production, mm -hmm. all these things that, right? But it's going to be hard and it's going to take, you know, it's going to take some guts, right? Because if you stand beside someone with failure, you're going to have to answer to someone above you as to why mm -hmm. you stood beside that person with failure, mm -hmm. right? But if you look at, it's easy to think of all the things that could go sideways, right? Like all the, okay, you, you know, like this, you know, I, I think... If you look at the upside in this situation, it's worth doing something hard to get the benefits that come from standing beside someone. I think you guys are hitting the real heart of the conversation because there's a cost to this, right? I mean, when when outside looking in, there is a change that needs to be made or there's somebody that's clearly not cutting it. And you as the leader say, we're going to put our arms around this person. We're going to move forward and learn from it. Uh, it doesn't always work, <laughs> right? I mean, like it could backfire. That person could be the wrong person. They could be sinking money, resources, time, energy from your organization, from those goals that you all want. And so uh, I think that's why, why this is such a, a challenging topic, because there, there is a cost associated. When you stand by somebody, it could go wrong, you know? And, and that's why I think people kind of shy away from that. There's also a cost associated with treating somebody poorly. Sure. And if you've got somebody who's in the wrong position or you, they're just not right for the company, like you said, it costs time and money. One of my first questions is, well, who was responsible for hiring that person? <laughs> because that might be the bigger failure, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Sure. But also the way in which you deal with that is the way in which most of your employees will imitate. And so that's worth a lot of times much more than, yeah. even though it can be expensive, it's worth a lot more than getting rid of somebody who doesn't fit. Yeah, absolutely. And, and let's be clear, like we are talking about standing beside someone amidst failure, not standing beside someone amidst apathy or amidst, um, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, ineptitude, right? This is standing beside someone amidst failure, right? This isn't, again, I, I just want to make sure we're clear. This isn't about tolerating poor performance. This is, right. hey, this is a correctable thing that can still move our company forward. And and like you said, you look at training costs, you look at your know, onboarding costs, all the things it takes to, to get someone up to speed. Um, this is important that you do this part well. It takes a lot of wisdom to decide to decide the two because a lot of times those are there's a big gap but sometimes it's pretty thin i mean sometimes yeah. it's pretty pretty it's like man it's a razor thin line between should this person stay or should this person go 
If it's okay with you, Sean, if we just take a half a step back away from the Nazi concentration camp analogies. Yeah, we can lighten it up. (laughs) We talk about standing by your employee when there's success. Mm. And when I was thinking about this episode and, and taking notes for it, I remember one time in particular where... Uh, I was working on a business. I would go to the office twice a month. I went in one time after there was, you know, quite a big uh, deal that had been done in the business. And when I walked in, a lot of people sort of like congratulated me on what had happened. And for whatever reason, they thought I had more to do with it than I did. And so I was able to call a, a company-wide meeting, and I said, you know, you all know that this happened, but I want you to know that it was because of her. She did these things. She did, you know, X, Y, and Z, and blah, 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 blah. And everyone should know and be thankful that, you know, the company has this great opportunity because she did this. It was, it was a little uncomfortable in the beginning because people weren't really used to that. But I think it's really, really important. And if we talk about some things have to be done behind closed doors, some things have to be done in the open. And when somebody has, you know, a good amount of success or something like that, you damn well be very vocal about it and point your finger in the right way to make sure that people understand this person worked, they achieved, it's benefiting all of us, and we should recognize that. Yeah. And that's a great leadership example, right? It's you stand beside someone amidst failure, you shrink beside someone amidst success. And when I say yeah. shrink, I mean you minimize your part in the success, and you give as much of it away as you possibly can. You know, and it can't be it can't be fake humility, right? It has to be like, no, no, these people, these are the people that did this. Like, this is the reason we were successful. And, and like I said, minimizing your part in it, even if it was a big part. Mm-hmm. Right? I think that's, um, it, it, it just creates a tremendous impact in people. It does, right? Because very, unfortunately, you don't, you don't see that a lot. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you know, I think it really allows yourself to stand apart from other leaders when you do that. And, and when you start standing apart from other leaders or getting leaders in the same building that can kind of stand apart, then you start turning your whole company, your whole culture around. I mean, if, uh, mm-hmm. if, if building a good culture, uh, was an essay chapter or if the first few paragraphs would be probably full of this, it's how to celebrate other people, helping them feel valued when that, you know, I, we, we see so often that a good idea or a breakthrough moment, uh, it always just gets passed up to like the the CEO executed it, and that's generally not the case. <laughs> it's generally not the case. So um, when people know that their ideas, their values, their hard work is going to be celebrated, I mean that that gets on um, Glassdoor, that gets into the break room, that gets into other companies, and that's something that people want to be a part of. And David, we had Mike and I had such a horrific example coming through that it affected us to the point where that when we when our team started winning races we wouldn't even be in the victory lane picture we would stand outside the gates of victory lane congratulate our guys 
and allow them to have the moment of glory. And we wouldn't even be in the picture because we were just so off put by the things that we had had to deal with before. And that was just, you know, someone inserting themselves in front of all of us and taking, you know, all, if not most, if not all the credit. How did the rest of the team take it that you didn't get into the picture? Um, they understood, you know, it became a joke, Hey, get, you know, but, but they understood why. Right. And, and, um, you know, I think it, it garnered us some respect. I think the other thing a leader has to do is, well, work with other leaders. And oftentimes there's, there's an opportunity I found at least in many cases to, to be the person to pull another leader aside and say, if it helps, my perspective is that this employee or this person needs this or is struggling with that, or this is what it looks like from my point of view. And it's, it's that way of helping somebody in a leadership position, see some of the things that, you know, they might not know right from the very outset. And it's another thing that's not easy sometimes. Correct. No, no, to grab a peer, grab another person who's leading in the company and say, Hey, right. Cause you, your record better be pretty jam up, right? Cause the first thing they're going to do is point at your, you know, inefficiencies or inadequacies. Right. But the thing is, is that's part of that whole rising tide lifts all ships. Right. Like if it's if it's someone in your company, you know, you want the whole company to, to do well. Right. So you're, you're willing to get uncomfortable to address that. But, yeah, that's extremely difficult. So if we were going to summarize what we've gone through so far, it's we're really talking about human connection, figuring out what standing by or support means in the different situation that you're in. And, you know, in some ways it kind of echoes the, the talks that I have with really, really young leaders, especially when they start a business, you know, they're all about their product, 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 product. And they should be, because there's no way to get the company off the ground. But once they have a team, their team is the product. And when you're a leader, you know, in so many ways, your team is your product and you have to concentrate on that. I think looking at your priorities is a really good one. And I think having some patience or grace to acknowledge that at least the very beginning, there's definitely things that you, critical things that you don't know exist already. Hmm. What did I miss? Um, the only thing I can think of is, is make sure you look at the problem, not the person. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good one with the caveat that sometimes infrequently the person is the problem. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> you teed it up for me earlier and I missed it, but it's, uh, the, uh, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Is that where you were going with that? <laughs> I knew you'd come up with a good one. I think you should make t-shirts or something like that. Uh, yeah, the only thing I was going to add was just, uh, I had a, I had a college football coach that in a moment where I would have appreciated him standing beside me, didn't. And it really Mm -hmm. shifted my mindset for, for the rest of my college experience, because it just, you know, didn't seem like a place where there would be any real need to go the extra mile. Right. And so, so much of, uh, as leaders, we 
in our in our words and how we communicate them and in, in what we say, so much of that kind of it. I mean, it 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 either causes our stock to rise or fall uh, when it comes to like the inspiration of our group, right? If we're saying even when they're challenging things, if we're saying them in a way that inspires people to keep pushing, they will continue to do so. But if we are saying these things in a way that is very much so like. I'm leaving this conversation feeling like I suck, then that's not very inspirational, right? So uh, regardless of how or what you have to say, how you say it is is always going to be so, so, so incredibly important. And it's got such a long tail. I mean, here you are as a 29-year-old guy still talking about what happened in college. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just a few short years ago, right? So um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's probably going on 20 years ago, man. And I still remember it like it was yesterday. Yeah. And you bring up a really good point that think about the stories our friends and family tell about what they've been through at work, the way the boss acts, what they say, what they don't say, the opportunities that they had to do something good and didn't, that really, really affects people. And mm -hmm. For whatever reason, when we go from being an employee to being a boss in some way, we just fucking forget all that. And that's not right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, inspiration is a prerequisite to brilliance. And that's what we're that's what we're all after. Right. If 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 people feel like you're no one's standing beside them or it has the capacity to support them, then you kind of suck a lot of the inspiration out of the room. Uh, and in a room without inspiration is not going to be a room that high performing people are going to be attracted to. So there's there's so much more to this conversation than just the moment of the failure or the bad thing. It's it's the culture, it's retention, it's attracting quality talent, it's performance. And so all these things come together um, when a leader is able to stand beside his employees. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think we've taken this one around the bend want to thank everybody for listening and we'll talk to you next week. Thank you. See you. <laughs>